welcome to the Sizzle Podcast. I am Dr. Joe Taylor. In every one of our episodes, I bring my psychological lens along, and the guests and I have a warm conversation about a hot topic. My experience of my graduation from undergrad to the first year of doctorate was a series of butt-clenchingly embarrassing, predictable personal failures based on the idea that I'd gone the whole way through school, not really trying that much, got into a Russell Group uni again, coasted it, and didn't have any idea what I hoped for. I'd never considered that question. Today I am talking to Dr Tim Cox, who is an educational psychologist, and our conversation explores hope. We talk about what hope is, and we have a think about how hope can enrich our lives. We also consider the difference between hope, which might just be for us, and the kind of hope which can help us to support and build better communities. Tim, welcome. Hi, thank you. This has been, yeah, a long time in the making, so it's it's really great to have you here for a chunk of conversation. Mm. I'd love to hear how you describe yourself and your work, and then, and then we can get stuck into the, the meat of it. Okay, I mean, I describe myself, I mean, professionally, I'm an educational psychologist, so working in a similar fields to you. I, I live in the northeast of England. And I grew up in, in the South Wales Valleys and then just outside Cardiff. And then I've kind of moved around consistently for the last sort of kind of 15 years around the Southwest. And then by some fate, ended up training to be a psychologist in, in, in Newcastle. And um, I guess I've, I wouldn't say I'm an adopted northerner, but I do like it up here. So yeah, that's, that's some of what I do. I guess the other, I guess how we met was I've got real interest in like the psychology of, of hope and how that applies in the work that we do. You and I had a conversation which was the first recorded conversation for a podcast I host called uh, Agents of Hope. You know, your episode particularly, but lots of episodes since then, 12 episodes since then, have gone really well and kind of some people kind of know who I am, which is a really strange situation to be in, like less than six months into your professional career. But you know, it's been great fun to talk to loads of people about uh, hope and, and, and other aspects of, of things. I guess I'm a hopeful psychologist. Tim Cox, a hopeful psychologist. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you've got to be. You've got to be. You've got to. Yeah, I was talking about hope mm. just today, actually. And the person I was talking to was saying that sometimes they hear therapeutic conversations mm. or hear about people's circumstances, and there's part of them that feels without hope and that that's really hard and um and yeah we we were talking about how important uh hope is for therapeutic work and i mean you know broadly any kind of work really Mm. it it seems really relevant to our our profession but also to the context now you know we're recording during the covid19 pandemic which is stretching on out and uh, we can no longer use the word lockdown as a reference point because we've had a yeah. few in England. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're lockdown three now. Yeah. How do you think about hope? Without being too obtuse, I guess it, it's like tragically would be the 
first, I guess my first part, I came to hope through despair in some some respects and and reflecting on difficult times I'd had in my personal life and kind of aspirations for where um, society could go. And, you know, hope is always at, at the centre of that, the turning point of feeling that things are really terrible so things could be better. So there's sort of kind of an intuitive element to hope and that's all kind of backed up in the psychological literature of, of things but you know I came to psychology I guess through hope more than anything was really interested in making the world a better place and really struggled with how to frame that yeah hope was a really you know through all, all the things that I've done um, over various careers various kind of attempted careers you know, hope has always been at the centre of that and you know whenever you know I've worked in education for for over a decade now and everybody I speak to parents teachers support staff children they all have hopes uh, and education particularly isn't talked about in the national media or perhaps on social media in a particularly hopeful way but I think hope is at, really at the core of of education and education is at the core of our sense of trying to be a progressive society so you know it's kind of a bit of a of a heartbeat uh, even though it's painful to acknowledge sometimes and that's why I've been really interested in in hope really because you can take it from that intuitive feeling and then you can understand it sort of kind of component cognitive parts and then it's kind of uh, social virtue and also it's sort of existential transcendent nature it's a really complex but accessible thing, I think. I feel like you're, you're already splitting the concept into a few different layers there. Mm. It's so interesting when you were talking about education that hope doesn't seem to be talked about in relation to education very much. That's such an interesting observation in itself mm. because surely that's part of the journey. I'm thinking about even in the strictest sense of education being part of preparing you for exams yeah the implication there is hopes for certain grades dot 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 to facilitate mm. a certain future so it has to be part of a trajectory mm. why why don't you think that we talk about hope that much in education well i mean i think it's because partly it can be painful and can it's unclear what it is it's sort of sort of transient idea in some respects which can you know people kind of relate to and go oh yeah that, that's a nice idea or or we can't be too hopeful about this we need to be realistic we need to be pragmatic yeah ethereal ideas which have the kind of root in spirituality or kind of wish wishful thinking don't sit particularly well next to arithmetic and phonics but there's a tacitness to it. There's, you know, it underpins lots of what we do to the point where it's not talked about because it's sort of assumed, but then perhaps it's actually forgotten when things get stressful. And I think all of the years that I've worked in education, things seems to have been stressful. So I think there's that element of stress and there's an element of intangibility, which don't make it a particularly helpful way to talk about things in the day-to-day kind of staff room corridors classrooms of what we do yeah that's a really interesting way of putting it now I'm wondering whether we can draw a distinction between hope 
in terms of the higher order thinking mm-hmm. skills of planning and imagination versus hope as a felt desire to continue even when things mm-hmm. are hard where mm-hmm. I might be really stressed and so I might not be in a place where I have the resources to engage in the imagination of the kind of future that I want mm-hmm. but I still might get up every day and do what I need to do I'm curious to see what you think about whether we could argue that hope could be beneath that at a very fundamental layer I think you could see it as a distinction of this sort of kind of existential idea about why you do the things you do even though things are hard or you could see it as the sort of nuts and bolts of like I guess you know hope theory you know the most uh, accessible and perhaps the most kind of out there in terms of literature theory about hope is that hope is the sum of your agency so your confidence about doing something and your pathway thinking so the amount of different ways you can think to do something towards a goal uh, and the feedback loops that kind of come off that I think those two things work together Uh, and and I think there's kind of five dimensions of hope really that you know the first first is like the the intuitive thought that things could be better the second being the sort of kind of cognitive theory that you know about having a goal planning having pathway thinking having agency to do that the third thing being concepts of kind of good hope so McGear who's a moral psychologist talks about hope in a way where it's like there's a difference between good hope and bad hopes good hopes are like imaginative resilient and based in the real world those kind of goals and you kind of work out you work through them over time whereas wishful thinking is like you're too reliant on the abilities of other people to fulfill your hopes and willful thinking is like i have to do it's like hope at, at gunpoint i have to do this or else often wishful thinking and willful thinking can masquerade as hope sometimes in education lots of times in society almost all the time in politics you get one of those kind of two things and good hope is something distinctly different good hope is about being clear-sighted imaginative but you have supportive people around you which kind of links into that kind of fourth element i think is that you know hope is really sustainable when it's good for you and it's good for your community around you however far you ripple that you know you can see people being kind of coerced or coaxed down corridors of, of particular hopes particularly in the education system and then that you have the kind of fifth uh, dimension of hope which i think is like your transcendent idea of hope where it's just like it, it links with your existential understanding of who you are and your kind of field of being but it can also transcend that so it's like you're doing something which will transcend uh, your circumstance or it will transcend yourself like in my thesis i was looking at like transcendent hope in fathers, you know, parenting as a transcendent hope because they're hoping that their their children become a certain type of adult beyond their um, interaction with their child. So you can see that as like sort of contra- transcendent hope. So I think we kind of work between these kind of five ethereal ideas. Uh, but if you work, see those things as kind of working together and kind of layer those up, what I think you can do is that you can develop Um, what I like to call like a discipline of hope so you're kind of working through those things 
making sure they're kind of all lined up and you work with things over time and you develop that sort of kind of growth mindset despite your circumstances even if your circumstances are really tragic which for a lot of people at the moment they really are that we can build something better which is good for us for our communities and for society as a whole a discipline of hope you i i have such a emotional response to the word discipline even though mm. i know you didn't mean it in terms of kind of punitive perhaps a practice of hope that that would be something that i'd feel more comfortable with but i love the idea of how you can bring the five different facets of hope i don't know if you describe it like that like facets of hope or... I, I potentially call it five dimensions of hope dimensions nice yeah. um but, into your everyday life yeah but that, that idea of d- disciplined hope i guess or practiced hope came from our, our conversation about your thesis uh, with you know how trust was developed uh, between people in kind of martial arts and boxing uh, gyms discipline in the boxing world is seen as a really positive thing you know that's something that you get out of you get you understand how to uh, reach goal to become stronger to defend yourself over the course of time through interaction through developing through learning and I think that thing you can pick that up and and apply it to to other uh, arenas um, of, of someone's of someone's life. The idea, I guess, the idea of discipline in that sort of idea comes from like Eric Fromm talks about being disciplined in love. Is that love isn't this sort of feelings based thing? It's a choice, and it's something that you have to stay practiced and disciplined in to get the most out of over the course of your lifetime. Um, so I'm drawing on, I guess that sort of influence yeah i love that so much in there and um, um, you smoothly segued from martial arts to love which I, i'm mm. not even gonna mess up with that wonderful comparison i really like that thinking about the five dimensions four and five seem particularly new to me mm. and i suppose that there was something which really resonated with the fourth dimension around the fact it has to be productive for you and your community mm. well Can, i think yeah. i think that it, it doesn't have hopes don't have to be but i think they're more sustainable if they are because everybody's going to get on that train and say yeah keep doing that we love that you're doing that and it's something that i've experienced like my most recent example is like starting a podcast about hope for educational psychologists people really want me to talk about that over and over again and it has developed my thinking uh, around it substantially. You know, the young people you were working with around like, martial arts and boxing, they were in a community which re- saw that um, discipline and approach and developing those relationships and, and love for each other within, that, within those gyms as, as a virtue and therefore kept doing it, built trust, did all of those sort of things. Yeah, so I think I misunderstood the fourth dimension then it sounds a bit like the hope is more likely to persevere if it is accepted by the community because they will continue to facilitate it and you'll kind of enter into a virtuous cycle i think so yeah i mean th- these ideas are roughly developed at, at the moment but they seem to to ring kind of true uh, for people and, and in the way that i work is largely hope based really in, in how i understand uh, what's going on and using kind of person-centered uh, planning tools which bring communities into meetings about individual people and identifying the good things about them and the good 
goals that they might have and how people might develop those brings around that sort of hope is a virtue within the community as you go on. But I also think that it could be helpful to think about hope in a way that, you know, we might have our individual desires and all of those sort of things. But if we can engage in things that we know are hopeful to other people and, and bring everybody up with it, that has a profound effect on your experience of being in that community. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. The idea that if you can align with your community or find ways to work that benefit your community, you will have a ripple effect. I, I suppose I'm imagining a scenario where we're thinking about the fifth dimension and mm. somebody is working really hard to transcend their situation. As a result, they're focusing very much on themselves. We could see how it could be quite easy to stray into ways of living that weren't sustainable for them or could become unhelpful if they were dialed up to the max. And yeah. that that kind of community element would be missing. Yeah, mm. I, th- I think we've had a sort of a, thinking about cultural history over the last 25 to 30 years, we've had this kind of big upsurge in celebrity being a, a really important part of our day-to-day culture. And what we're seeing there is people encouraging people to transcend their social circumstances to become these sort of people on a pedestal. But people also love watching them fall. You know, people chasing fame as a way of elevating oneself and being transcendent. Actually, they start tracing things which aren't about themselves anymore. We see these horrific falls, which are completely in the public eye, and there's, there's, there's a huge market for the rags to riches and the riches to rags story. I, I think if we f- focus on things really being a virtue and things being good f- for the common good, we might be in a healthier situation. You know, that doesn't seem to be in the kind of common talk at the moment. We have a very polarised way of seeing things and often forced into binary choices about things that we think are good or bad. People transcending their circumstances is a is a really good thing, and then coming back to to share that with their community is also a very good thing. Marcus Rashford being a great example of that in the last few months, but he gets absolutely pilloried by some aspects of the press for being rich now because he's sharing it, and he you're, you're, they're seen as you know these people who are you know talking down to people or having ten houses, but talking about free school meals and all that sort of things so we're in this horrible situation where it sees no one can can really win so you know my view on those five dimensions of hope is that we need to build it from the ground up and schools are, are a great place to do that because people are way less cynical about young people I'd hope yeah when you're working with someone young and you ask them what they want to be and they say I want to be an astronaut that is a, a really unrestrained dream Let's not think about the practicalities. Let's just say, I think it would be cool to go to space. I would love to talk about education in a moment. And and also you described the frameworks that are possible to use, because that's an application of hope, hope for change. But I, I was wondering... When we think about these five dimensions, if we could work it through with an example, let's take your podcast. Yep. Can we, could we use your podcast as like a framework to think about the five dimensions? 
certainly we'd have to go into a lot of pre the podcast to get to that sort of intuitive, <laughs> intuitive element of stuff. But I really, I, you know, I guess the, the podcast is somewhat an extension of my interest and where that interest has come from of, of hope. But I think my experiences of my graduation from undergrad to the first year of doctorate was a series of butt clutchingly embarrassing, predictable personal failures based on the idea that I'd gone the whole way through school without, you know, I coasted through relatively getting decentish grades, not really trying that much, got into a Russell Group uni again, coasted it and didn't have an idea, didn't have any idea what I hoped for. I'd never considered that question. I got into working in schools and found that incredibly hard. So I had intuitively this idea that things will just be better and everything is progressive, which is how we're sort of encouraged to, to think in our society, really. And then I you know, hit a really tough point post-graduation where I wasn't good at my job, my relationships failed, my friends were also going through difficult times. This was kind of 2009, 2010. We'd been sold the dream that you go and study anything that you want, music, drama, English, history, and you'll get any job that you want. It'll be fine. Just get to university, do that. And obviously 2008 crash changed that experience. And a lot of my friends that I grew up with, went to school with, experienced crippling mental health issues, not just based on that experience, but that experience really didn't help. I decided to to leave education and, and try a music career. And I had to work really hard at that. And I failed, really. You know, I enjoyed it, but I didn't have commercial success. And so I kind of learned that I needed to kind of take initiative, start doing things on my own. And then I applied that to going back into education. I developed my pathway thinking, developed my agency, knew what goals I was working at, because I'd come across people in those years who encouraged me to develop this way of being to a point kind of where I was working in a way that was kind of what I'd call good hope. You know, it was clear-sighted, people around me were supporting me um, to an extent, perhaps not financially in the schools I was working in, but they just thought, you know, great, you come in, apply these ideas, that's great. And then, you know, got to a point where I felt like I could kind of take it to the next level, did a master's, did a few more years in school, and then applied to the, the doctorate. And really struggle with the ideas like how do I approach this you know what is the value at the bottom of all my experiences so far and what I'd like to to take forward and you know the the thing that I couldn't lift up and see there was something underneath that was hope you know I from a history background really and grew up in a very religious household and that seemed to be the thing that just aligned through everything so I developed this idea put the feelers out there found supportive people like you I'd still be in this kind of third dimension of good hope at this point uh, so I'd having those conversations and then it just kind of blew up because it was like a it seemed as a virtue for, for the EP community and the education community for somebody to be talking about this it transcended my understanding at the time of, of hope certainly you could make the argument that it transcends me because it's helpful to to other people as well and it's given me loads of feedback loops about how I could develop as a psychologist, as a person, giving me a more kind of optimistic 
professional view and sense of belonging in in the kind of EP community generally and help me to see society in a different way so I guess that's how that would shift through the, the five dimensions for me that's probably a very long and I don't know if that's follow, followable but um yeah oh, I followed it fully I really loved that that was really nice to hear you reflecting on your journey and what has happened with the podcast how does it feel has it has it been almost has it been a year yet or just over a year we may have recorded it in late march early april so, so not even a year yet not even a year wow. kind of eleven thousand downloads which isn't crazy for for podcasts but for a quite a niche podcast you know being in the british education podcast charts irish israeli new zealand you know across the world we've had people listening people interacting far beyond what I thought would happen and it was really just kind of a is anybody else thinking about this does this resonate and it turned out that that it did mm -hmm. yeah completely and you know we really see that response from the psychology community and it's so funny the way that we think about numbers and scale mm -hmm. you know yeah. like when I hear a number like 11,000 okay sure Beyonce is out there getting, you know, the big hundred million, yeah. one billion on YouTube views. But 11,000, that's mm. epic because you'd have to get a really big venue. Let's go back to your music career. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a I chunky mean, venue. Yeah, you know, it certainly had more downloads than any of my three minute songs ever have done. You know, it was slightly depressing. You know, um, society is telling me that talking about hope is more virtuous than singing about misery exactly reframe yeah yeah hopeful tim is getting more traction than well, miserable quite. musician tim well the real tim it's great and you know just to have conversations about it to, to develop my thinking although some of the ideas were there when we first spoke i think i was only really thinking along the lines of the first and second and perhaps the third dimension of of, of hope and it's really informed my doctoral thesis and how I see my practice. When I talk to people and when I talk to teachers and I talk to parents particularly, it's like, this is, you know, we want to develop more hope in this situation. We can develop as much competency or grades as we want, but ultimately, if it teaches this group of people to organize around this person, to develop their understanding of that person, to help them feel more accepted, to help them to develop the agency and ways of thinking which allow them to be more independent that's a great outcome for me and it kind of goes back to Paolo Freire's idea about the pedagogy of the oppressed is that education should be about really engaging at the individual level about what that person wants to get out of education rather than filling them up with the knowledge that we think could help yeah that's a powerful reference to draw for sure I really like the way that you focused on the importance of hope i mean the fundamental nature of it really you can help someone to get grades but if they don't have any sense of the direction then mm. you know we could see how they just wouldn't necessarily be happy or motivated so would that be the third dimension if they had grades but no sense of what they wanted to do with them or is that the second dimension well, I think it's clearly if somebody gets the kind of good grades, they've learnt some way of being hopeful and hitting it, but it's not linking with the fifth dimension of like 
the transcendent quality in their life which they want to hit it might be really good for everybody else but if it's not good for them it's not going to be sustainable you know and you know people who are very intelligent or very good at getting good grades at school aren't protected from experiencing mental health issues and you know lack of purpose lack of meaning and lots and lots of people I talk to have talked to me about that and it's led to this sense of hopelessness I think in society um, is that we're losing touch with how important the things that we can do and we can pursue are to to our communities and how we could be feeding that back and all of those sort of things. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. You published a, a paper recently. Does it have the five dimensions in it? No. So that was before. I, I, I need, I need yeah. you to publish a diagram of that, man. Like a really yeah. beautiful diagram of that. That That's once I get used to the job, uh, working five days a week, uh, then maybe the five dimensions of hope can poke their head out and into the, into the published world. But I think it's just a, a helpful-ish way to, 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 to think about things if, you know, hope seems to be what's missing. What's also encapsulated in that you know, is compassion and optimism despite difficult circumstances or resilience, however, however you want to, to frame it. Hope is something that we all kind of understand what that is in a sort of intuitive way. Alan Batard kind of said, psychologists sell themselves short. We could be using our work with communities a lot more. He said something like, you know, would you rather, you know, spend your time and money saving for new trainers or working out how to have better relationships? When it's starkly put like that, and I guess what I'm doing is just like, you know, would you rather learn how to be hopeful and push that through uh, into a way that it impacts your life in a good way and your relationships in a good way, rather than offering something less appealing? Yeah, I hear that. You talked about the transition into five day a week yeah. work. Yeah, how's that been? I mean, I'm only just now putting two and two together that you would have started that mid pandemic. Yeah. yeah how, how have you I found mean, that? I've got a wonderful team of, of people around me who I was on placement with. They've been wonderful to me. It, it's, it's more self-doubt sort of stuff, which is more the issue. Amazingly, somehow during this global pandemic, the NHS found time to do an operation on my sinuses and improve my breathing and just had an amazing experience with them. I did have time off work to do that. So feeling like I'm kind of still catching up with that still feeling like I shouldn't be the trainee anymore and being on Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all of those sort of things, you don't have the people around you, you don't have that sense of what you're doing is a virtue anymore because you're not getting those feedback loops that you might get from what you're doing. So it's been great and difficult at the same time, but hey, I love my job. It, it's what I've wanted to do. So it just takes me working out how to do it over a short period of time to a point where it becomes my norm. It becomes my discipline of how I do things and I move on. That's what I'm hoping at least. Yeah. And, you know, it is a, it is a really difficult time at the mm. moment. And I think that that segment of conversation is so powerful because we started off by delving deep into hope. And up until now, people mm. listening will have, been thinking about Tim as this person who's developed this 
model of hope with five dimensions and now suddenly it's like bam Tim is also human and finding it hard Ooh, yeah. working on zoom you know yeah that we we encapsulate all of those things yeah I mean I would say that you know naturally anyone who kind of knows me really well wouldn't say I was a particularly like positive person or or hopeful I can be quite like negative and and I guess depressive for those who spent long enough with me in my 20s but I've just decided to focus on the thing that got me out of those situations always comes around eventually and what I think it's worth bringing from my personality to work with you know young people who are the future who are people who need encouragement just then you made me think of solution-focused brief therapy and also criticisms of positive psychology you know the idea that positive psychologists would refute this argument Mm -hmm. but that you you shouldn't be asking people to always think of stuff that they're good at and sometimes they might not be in a position to do that or feel like they have the resources to do that and I wonder how you think that those kind of criticisms might relate to hope you know I have some thoughts because I know that you started the conversation talking about pain as well Mm. I don't want to kind of presume yeah I wonder what you think about that hope theory is is from positive psychology uh, and it really focuses on the here and now Charles Snyder came up with the idea of hope theory by just stopping people on the street and asking like what's your plan today and how are you going to do it and how confident do you feel about going to do it and how will you know if you're successful and that's not thinking about hope over a long-term thing but it's provided a really helpful the second dimension of hope it's provided that it's given me the cognitive framework the the map the sort of manual to understand what's kind of going on a day-to-day basis you know if you just focus on like the here and now just being positive and that can be very annoying to listen to and that kind of professional optimism can be very frustrating I really hope I'm not that to people I can imagine what people might assume that I am a bit like that you kind of come floating in on the clouds with starlings around your head yeah I mean that's never really done it for me even you know my upbringing you know my father's was a vicar uh, and brought up in a very religious household we weren't necessarily the happy clappy type of, of Christians and observing my father in his role he could have been very I guess solution focused just believe in God or just have faith but my observation of him is that isn't why he started at the human element and saw how perhaps scripture could could impact somebody's life positively or at least validate them and there's a lot of pain and suffering in the Christ story. And there's a lot of pain and suffering in psychology. There's elements of not being the happy clappy psychologist, which are probably helpful, particularly when people are feeling strained right now. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that, you know, I come strictly from the positive psychology school, but I think it is helpful in, in some respects. But we get to choose our attitude to how we're going to be. So being professionally optimistic isn't a helpful attitude being tragically optimistic and having a real basis in how we are and what, you know, one foot in the pain, one foot in the solution, that is probably more helpful. It makes me want to know more about how you use hope in your day-to-day work. For people that aren't 
psychologists, it might also be useful to you know, describe how you practice. Yeah, mm. then how hope features in that. I tend to practice when I'm working with young people and their families. Those would be the main protagonists if this was a TV show. You know, they're the main characters. I'm part of the supporting cast, as are the teachers and support staff and all of those things. What I, I go in looking for is what, what's everyone's hope in this situation. Usually we come into work with, with young people when things feel stuck. There's a sense of hopelessness or conflicting goals. What I try to do is, is open out that lens a bit to sort of more of a panoramic kind of lifetime view of each person involved in this particular scene uh, and say, okay, what's your hope for this young person? What's the young person's hope? What's the parent's hope? And find actually they might be on, not be on the exact same page. They're usually in the same chapter. They're usually all very kind of realistic. I really think about that, trying to get good hope in there. You know, what do we want to achieve, which is realistic? clear-sighted and imaginative and draws upon the skills like the pathway thinking of everybody involved and the agency of, of the people involved and how do we develop feedback loops which are going to be helpful whether we've reached this goal or not. I use a positive psychology idea of kind of growth psychology, growth mindset. So you know we're always going to be learning and if we get the feedback loops right we can always be optimistic about how we're doing things. We can always be learning. Everything is progress, which is what we were kind of, you know, I feel, you know, my generation, perhaps your generation, were promised that everything is progress. But you've got to really practice that, be disciplined in, in thinking about that. Sorry to use the D word um, again. But, yeah, so th there's that element of things. If I'm working with young people who are finding it difficult to, to engage, and I, you know, I really try to get that sort of existential understanding of what they're doing and why they might be doing certain things, which the adults around them think, oh, why on earth are they doing that? And use things like the human givens framework, which says that all humans have certain emotional needs. And when Bobby goes off and is hanging out with you know, older people who might be you know, involved in gang activity or something like that, you know, that doesn't seem to make any sense for us because at school we're offering him you know, administration for eight hours a day and he's no, not doing particularly well in it, but at least it's safe. Uh, and it's about saying, maybe that's about status. You know, are we giving him any status in school that you know, people perhaps in, in gang-related activity can give this person? Uh, and, and start to think about, about things in this sort of kind of way from seeing it from that young person's point of view and to develop that sense of that the even though relationships can be strained we can develop trust by staying in that relationship and working on something together which has good outcomes for everybody so that kind of fourth dimension of hope so we can transcend the situation so i try and go through those kind of five dimensions of hope that i'm using but use different kind of psychological tools to assess where we are with that or interventions to develop that or sustain those relationships. But yeah, that's kind of how I try and use it in my day-to-day -day work. But I, I like to practice primarily by, by talking first, using what we call, I guess, consultation methods and staying in contact and, and doing a bit of kind of coaching through this, reminding why we're doing certain things and helping people to deal with setbacks or deal with uh, attainment or whatever whatever we're doing because I work in a kind of traded way 
you say, I can always come back to this. And this is something that we can always do, come back to later. So that's how I try and practice. People working with me at the moment on Zoom might not <laughs> entirely see that that's what's happening, but that's the idea that I want to be doing. That sounded so comprehensive that when you were talking about how the dimensions fit into the work, it just mm. made me imagine, we're coming back to this article you have to publish, um, you know, that I'm imagining a flowchart mm. of touch points with people you're working with and how the five dimensions fit into them and, and how you explore them. It, mm. That's such a cool way to work. And it makes me think of a colleague who, <laughs> so we were in a team meeting and we were talking about doing statutory work with the local authority there are children who have a certain level of need and the local authority is like okay we need to know whether this level of need is such that we have to provide extra funding so mm. sometimes educational psychologists will contribute psychological advice one of my colleagues said yeah so i i use a path for that yep. and other colleagues were absolutely stunned that that mm. could happen and what what I thought was so clever about it is that it does include all the information that you would need to think about the next four or five years of someone's life and um, Mm. similarly I could see how the framework you're describing can account for all types of things because it's it's to do with such a fundamental a human fundamental you know it can account for the educational it can account for the social can account for emotional you can account for requiring support to become more independent as you grow older all, all these kinds of things so yeah that that was really cool to hear and I'm interested to know what you think of PATH as a model I think I remember you saying you use it in school but also with organizations as well so I'd yeah. love to hear a bit about that work yeah uh, so yeah planning alternative tomorrow's hope is like that was the first thing that made sense to me in my training and I kind of known for using it a lot in my service. I use it in almost every educational healthcare plan statutory assessment that I, I do to capture views, to give, get the why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important to the young person and the family uh, particularly? And to make things feel more hopeful and accessible because that sort of statutory assessment can become very service-based. It's about informing what money spent where but I think it's important to use that sort of approach to help people to understand like what's going to go on now. Why are we in this? Like the school thinks it's important, local authority thinks it's important. Some you know, lanky psychologist also thinks it's important to come in and glean these details about my child's life or my life. And it, it helps me to explain why I would do that, uh, why it might be important uh, and why it's important to have a plan, that plan, that the path plan sticks, whether it's the child gets the funding or the child doesn't get the funding, it allows you to, to manage the expectation and to, to start developing um, that, that discipline of hope in, in a way that everybody agrees is a good idea. So I think it's really helpful in that respect. I've also been working with some community organizers uh, who work nationwide Uh, called Citizens UK um, to develop as an approach to primarily people who are helping refugees to settle in in their area to help them to orient towards what they need to do uh, in order to kind of get housing 
to make sure that they're available for the family uh, when that needs to happen, that to make sure there's a fair division of labour between these people who are volunteering to do this and to make sure that the finances are there. Um, so they're sort of working with the group around the family. And then the idea is that when the family feel kind of safe and settled and that their rights are being met and they've started to build uh, social bridges between themselves and the host kind of group and community, that that might be a good time for these volunteers to facilitate a path for those families. That idea is sort of kind of rippled out um, generally as an idea about how civic institutions, trade unions, schools, universities, uh, mosques, churches, synagogues, parenting interventions can work together in alliances and use the path as a way of working through those eight stages to come up with a plan of how do we recover from COVID? How do we come back uh, and support people who might have had a really tough time during uh, lockdown? How many other times are we going to get that? Uh, and how do we reorganise our ways in which we are able to ask community organising questions, which generally are, you know, what are the things that impact negatively on your life? And secondly, are you prepared to do something about it and build kind of grassroots hopeful discipline for people to work at kind of those systemic levels, working across faith boundaries, across kind of work boundaries in a way which isn't polarised in terms of politically, it's not a political organisation, although it is kind of teaching people to, to engage with decision makers and ensure that they are at the decision making table and not on the menu. I love that. I love that. At the moment, we have so much outrage and disconnection in the media and society. Hope seems to be a really enticing alternative. Yeah, I, I love the idea of thinking about dimension four, yeah. but bringing different groups together. And you mentioned um, Ferrer earlier, right? Yeah. And it reminds me of sessions that I was participating in and designing with my friend Yusuf Bakali, mm. like from scratch. And we were kind of muddling around something that was probably not quite as good as a path. <laughs> mm. You know... Path itself, was it designed by Inclusive Solutions? I no. don't know the origin story. What, so, yeah, what is it? It was Pierpoint and O'Brien, and they were an academic and a social worker, and then they developed it for people who just come through real rehabilitation through the justice system to be reintegrated into communities. I mean, it's been used by loads of people, and education psychologists are just one. Uh, and, and that's why I think it's an applicable tool, which can be used for a lot of things. And actually, it's a good way of bridging that gap between psychological practice and, and community experience um, in a way that's accessible, understandable. It's designed to, to help people to work together. And it's been a really interesting experience working directly with communities like that. Yeah, it's such a cool tool for orientation because mm. in places the young person at the center fundamentally yeah you know it, like it's it's really I, I can't think of how someone could go through the path process and not have the child or young person at the center of it mm. or you know let's say the community at the center of it if we want to zoom out a little bit yeah yeah that is very cool I'm really glad that you said who created it because yeah that's a total blind spot in my knowledge I think that I had first found it on the Inclusive Solutions website and just yeah. assumed that they had created it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Colin Newton did train with them and has been directly trained by the founders of, of PATH. It, it's widely used in, in Canada and New Zealand and lots of diff different places. And Colin Newton's doing great work around that. So he's definitely worth checking out. It's something that's just really, really helpful. And you know, people come out of it feeling a, clear. That's really helpful with planning. planning. Uh, and they're usually planning something pretty complex. Uh, B, they feel hopeful uh, in a personal sense and in a kind of general sense for the team. I think it, it helps develop relationships within the team. It helps you to have difficult conversations about division of labour, particularly, uh, and using individuals' sense of agency and pathway thinking to develop. And it's, you know, you get the sense of trust and optimism and the fact that you're doing something incrementally over one month six months and a year and brings people together at those periods so I'd preach to anyone about this and it's certainly something that's helped me in my personal development to to orient towards goals and to develop towards them so anybody who's out there and listening is interested in it I'd implore you to 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 give it a go to try it as a personal reflection tool and see where it gets you because I often I'm quite a messy person. Luckily, you can't see my desk at the moment. But I often kind of pick up files that have been there for eight months or something, and there's a path under there. And I've completed everything on it, even though I've forgotten the path was there. I've completed everything that I said I would do and more. So, you know, it's really helpful to orient yourself in that way, particularly when the world can see really, seem really overwhelming or um, very unforgiving, is that you choose what you're going to and say, that's what I'm going to say is my my goal. And that's what I'm going to decide whether I feel good about myself or not. Yeah, and I really rate the fact that you've shared a few of those publicly. Mm. Um, and it's a really nice way to celebrate, but also in a way, it's also psychoeducation or, mm. you know, raising awareness. Like, look, here's a thing that can be used. I wonder if you have any day-to-day -day practical thoughts of how people can explore hope themselves what, what would you say a, a kind of a starting point is or the smallest version of hopeful practice mm. I, I think it started and I remember where it was I was in a, my little postgraduate halls in Bristol when I was doing my master's and I, come, I, was, I was in talking therapy at the time and my therapist asked me what would your perception of your life be like if you gave yourself credit for the things that you've achieved from a point of being almost entirely self-deprecating self-loathing self-doubting to a point of like okay let's have an audit of the things that I have done and the things that I do do on a regular basis and give myself credit for how I do those um, what are the good things and what can I apply from the things that I do achieve and haven't given myself credit for to the things I find more difficult? And it was kind of this feeling of the murk lifting and feeling clear that, okay, these are things that I'm, I'm quite good at and probably could develop. So let's do some more of that. That's a very solution-focused way to think. But it was helpful. I guess the other things would be noticing when other people are achieving things and just telling them 
you know, that's quite a positive psychology idea, but just noticing that and having conversations about what you hope to do and what you would like to achieve and what other people think of that, get, it helps you to get on that kind of good hope or virtuous cycle way of thinking. And I found that talking about hope means that people come and talk to me about hope. So you develop this understanding, you develop this positivity and people could relate to the struggle and the journey. Um, so I think give yourself credit, talk to people about their achievements, talk to, you know, talk to them about what you'd like to achieve. And you're kind of starting to get on, on that kind of wavelength. I think you can also do things like uh, journaling and kind of reflective diary writing and, or talking to somebody trusted about you know, what you'd like to achieve from your life and really start to set goals and think about how you orient towards that and what's realistic and all of those sort of things. That's difficult right now where we can't really leave our houses, but there's things that we can do whilst we're in our houses. For example, when I started my course, I would have loved to publish a paper, but I just didn't have the agency around doing that. But at the time, I was obsessed with FIFA and I got into the top 100 on weekend league a couple of times. And I came away from that. Surprisingly, there was a breakup of the relationship around that time. I thought, okay, if I, and I was quite out of shape when I was drinking a lot and just not healthy at all. I thought, if I put the amount of effort I did into playing FIFA into going to the gym three or four times a week, could I lose that weight? And the answer was, yes, I could. So I thought, okay, if I can do this at the gym, can I apply this to my academic writing? And the answer was, yes, I could. It took work, took discipline, but I kept in and I, and I did it. Then I've built this story about myself is that when I put my mind to things and don't coast, things go better, which is what my parents always told me. She says, I just didn't believe it because I didn't have the evidence. But if you start on something small like that and realise that there are things that you're doing which do properly elevate your status or your experience or your sense of competency and apply that same attitude to other things that you'd like to achieve, I think you'll start to build this, this discipline of hope. Yeah, I love that. I really noticed the description of the feedback loops there. What is next for you and hope? Well, we're going a separate ways. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um well I'm releasing I, an album no, well I, well i'm actually going to recording studio after we speak actually yes not not, not to do uh not to do anything hopeful but just to I've, I've decided one of my lockdown things was to record an ep that i was happy with kind of relaunch of my music career. are you going to call your ep 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 no no i keep musician tim quite firmly away from psychologist Tim um, I think psychologist Tim would have quite a lot to say about musician Tim <laughs> um, um, no but I think in terms of I've got another series of Agents of Hope coming out start recording that in February yeah I've got someone coming on to talk about emotion coaching and I've got somebody coming so two people coming on to talk about working with children naught to two uh, in a hopeful Ooh. way um, which is you know, unusual for, for EPs, but in a lovely twist of fate, one of those people is the first EP that I ever met and the person I decided, having met, that I wanted to become an EP. So it's kind I of come that. full circle, Nicola Canale, who I met when I was uh, 
failing rock star and budding teaching assistant in Newport, South Wales. So it's 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 nice to do those sort of things. It'd be nice to get into hopeful conversations again. It's just difficult to feel hopeful at the moment with everything going on in the, in the news, really. But you know, hopefully people decide to talk about hope and think about things in that way in their own lives first and then see how that spreads out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll find that people, if you're setting a goal, people will generally be supportive and love that you're doing that. Yeah. And, you know, bring people along for the journey and they're not so judgmental of the outcome, but they're supportive of, of, of you as a person. So, yeah. Boom. And so Agents of Hope is the podcast. Where can people find you? Well, um, psychologist you. Psychologist, well. Um, no, let's plug the musician you as well. If you go to Newcastle, no. Uh, uh, right, psychologist me, Twitter, um, at Tim C Education, um, or put Agents of Hope podcast into, into your search engine and you'll be presented with 13 episodes ranging from listening to hope with dr joe taylor to teenage rebellion and existentialism with with jeff morgan and loads of different kind of takes on things which you know some people from outside the education and psychology world have found relatively interesting i I challenge you to find my music career because no record company has yet so if someone else could do that that'd be nice I love it. I love it. Yeah, that could just be the challenge for everyone. You've been listening to the Sizzle podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best thing that you can do to support us is to subscribe yourself and to share the podcast with people that you think would enjoy it. Looking forward to catching you next time on the Sizzle Podcast.